So uh, I told Brother Nathan last night we were talking about this. I, I said, when you go to a conference or you go to any kind of a meeting where they have multiple speakers, you want to be first. Because uh, years ago I went to a meeting and I had studied, and I was kind of a young pastor, um, probably 25 years ago, and uh, much younger than I am now, and and it didn't come as easily, the, the, the thoughts and the study, um, and I had just poured over a message. I had it down and, and uh, you know, rehearsing it, and I got to that meeting. It was, a, I think, a two- or three-day meeting. Well, the first night I was going to speak the next morning, the, the gentleman gets up to speak, and he says, turn your Bibles open to, and he, and he called out the chapter that, that I had been studying all this time. I said, well, he probably going somewhere else, called out the verse that I'm going to take my message from, and he preached and endeavored, and, and literally it was a little different direction than what I would have gone, but I went out of there saying, Lord, what do I do now? You know, like Brother Nathan said, I should have come back in there and said, you know, it's, we're, we're preaching out of the same thing, but I'm going to preach it better, <laughs> but... Uh, we got boys scramble around there and got something different. So anyway, I said all that to say this, that uh, sometimes we cross over in our thoughts and our scripture, and, and there's a lot of those. So let's let our little guys go out. Have, Sister Jen, are they going out this morning? Good. Okay, we'll let them go out and get them out of our hair. We're also so happy to have visitors that came and... and uh, were with us, some all through the whole time. By the way, I haven't got a call from the neighbors yet. We set off fireworks. I mean, it was, thank you, Austin and, and, uh, and Brandon and Rick. Um, I don't think Rick's back here yet today. He's picking up chicken. So uh, he'll be back in a little bit. And They went and got those fireworks, and I'm going to tell you what, man, that was like, that was amazing. I said, well, they know we're here. They know we are here. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you go with me? I'm going to endeavor to finish something that I had preached on a few weeks ago, but many of you weren't here, so it'll be a little more fresh to you. <clears throat> the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, in the second chapter. <clears throat> And we want to look at the uh, beginning at the third verse. And Paul said that, that we need to pray that we live a tranquil and uh, quiet existence in all God, godliness and reverence. For this is acceptable, good and acceptable before God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. And to come to a full knowledge of the truth. It uses a little something on the gnosis. It's the epigenosis that experienced full coming into a knowledge, full knowledge of the truth. In verse 5, so to read this, let me just read it um, from translation from the Greek. For... For God is one, and also one mediator 
of God and of men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. If you go back with me to the book of Matthew, I want to look at the 26th chapter, and there's something here that you will all recognize real quick, but there's something in it that that I believe that uh, can help us. 26th chapter of Matthew, the 69th verse, and Peter sat outside in the court, and one girl came near him saying, And you were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied before all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And he going out into the porch, another saw him and said to him there, And this one was with Jesus the Nazarene. And he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a little, coming near those standing by, said to Peter, Truly, you also are of them, for your speech makes you known. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed and Peter recalled the words of Jesus saying to him, Before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And going out, he wept bitterly. Lord, we just pray over your word this morning that as we speak, I've already asked you for an anointing, something higher than just the human level, an elevated discourse by the power of your spirit. That as we relate the word of God, that it will come by the spirit of the Lord, your thoughts, your way, your intentions in it. May we just be one that helps, Lord, to reveal, to reveal Christ in it. And we pray for your blessing on everyone that hears. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen, amen, amen. And so I want to bring to you this morning, um, as we kind of close this little campaign, I want to talk to you about the man, about the man, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. Two things for starters, and those who haven't been around in this church very much, haven't heard this yet, and so let me say this to start with, the revelation of Yeshua Jesus is progressive. Now, I was raised in an era where, with all good intention, you come to the altar, you pray a prayer, you get forgiven, and maybe sometime there you would receive the Spirit of God, and even to the speaking in tongues, which, which I totally believe in. But then from that point, we went on with the idea that we had just received the full revelation of Christ. It took me a lot of years to understand that the revelation of Jesus Christ is progressive. I'm sorry, you're not going to get it all this morning. We, we thought evangelistically that we could hand it out to people every time. It's not going to happen. To come to know Him is a progression 
of time and effort and study and pressing. And so that being the first principle, let me say about this message this morning, it is progressive. It was progressive for his disciples. Peter didn't know much about the Lord when the Lord stood on his boat and began to preach out to the congregation. He didn't know much when Jesus said, cast your nets on the right side and they were filled. He didn't realize much about the Lord. He knew that there was something special about him. Lord, I want you to leave off my vessel. I'm unworthy here to have you on my vessel preaching. He knew that much. But really, these disciples... And if we take just the word, just the root word of what they are, they are learners, they are students, they they are pupils of the Lord. They are learning, learning, learning. Let me just assure you, those that's been saved for just a short time, those who have been in the Lord, born again, born anew, the life of Christ in you, and you have been some time in the Lord, those who of you who have been many years in the Lord, let me assure you, there is nowhere to stop in the progression of knowing who Jesus is. I heard this from Mark Hamby years and years ago. One of the great spiritual crimes is that if we come to truth and find truth, we think we have all truth. And this is a problem with the church. It's a problem with all the religious stuff. It's a problem with the denominational stuff. Is we stop there because we came to a truth and we quit. That was the end. That's as far as we went. You get into denominational stuff, and I'll tell you what, if you change anything, you no longer belong to them So you dare not change anything because you're not part of them anymore. We've experienced that ourselves. But the freedom in Christ Jesus, I'm going to tell you about the freedom in Christ Jesus. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in Him. You have a right to pursue the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. It's a God-given right. See, during the dark ages, the people were suppressed. They didn't know. The scriptures were read to them. Many of them were illiterate. They had no chance, no knowledge. The clergy took advantage of that. They manipulated people. It's still going on today. I want to say this to all the individuals of our church. You know this well. We encourage you to find relationship in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't find it in me. You can't find it in mama. You can't find it in things that went on when you were a child. But the, the, the knowledge, the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, pressing to that full knowledge, is a constant pressing. It's a constant reaching towards that which you don't know about Him. I thought I knew him until, somebody said it's like a diamond. You see one phase of it. But then when you turn that diamond a little bit, you see some things you didn't see before. And so is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
So his disciples are blown away. Uh, I'm repeating just a little because uh, it's what I do. It's all I do is repeat. I like Tommy Barnett. He said, look, take my stuff. Take everything that we have here. went to one of his conferences. He said, take all of our literature. Copy it. Preach it. Do it. We don't own it. It's the Lord's. So we just keep going over the Lord's stuff, all right? And, and so he's revealing to his disciples in this, this, this constant thing going on for several years. And he speaks to them many times, revealing just parts and pieces. He doesn't bring down full revelation of who he is. We get to John 14, the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry and life. And there he drops the hammer. He begins to tell them some things about him that he has never told them before. But it's like he doesn't want to leave without them not having been exposed to that. And, and as you read that chapter, I know that people get hung up on mansions, and we were talking about this the other day, and you, you start out, you know, in, in, in my father's house. I mean, no, it doesn't start that way. It said, you believe in God, believe in me. The same way, the same Greek word, the same power of faith and belief, and what you think you believe in God, you're going to redirect that now, and you're going to believe in me. And from that moment, he begins to disclose to them who He is. The most powerful, powerful words that He gives. And, and, and again, we, we need to cross over some of these verses. But, but He reveals to them the last night. He says to them in John 14, 6. And now, this is going to blow them away. They do not understand this concept at all. They don't know Him in this manner. They know Him as Messiah. They know Him. He speaks great words. No one speaks like Him. They know that. No one can raise the dead. They know that the message is out about Him that He heals the blind. No one has ever seen this happen before. And His disciples know Him that way. They know Him as their provider. He's kept them for these years. They know that. They have experienced that. But now, when he says to them, I am the way. Thank you, Brother Nathan. I am the way. The way to where? Now, let me tell you the American gospel. When Jesus says, I am the way, it's the way to heaven. That's the American gospel. So raise your hand this morning. We're going to repeat a prayer. You're going to be ready to go to heaven. That's something different than the Lord's gospel. But when he says, I am the way, it's the way back in. And I'm the truth. And I'm the Zoe. And I talked about this part a few weeks ago, and I, I've got to bring it up again. No one comes. Can everybody say no one? No big time evangelist? No mega church pastor. No little grandma in the back room somewhere. No one comes pros ton patera or even towards the Father if not 
through of me. That's a great claim. Because he has already taught them. Pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He has taught them to observe Father, but they just, they don't know exactly how he fits in the equation. Are you following me? They understand that, that he's talked about Father, but they just, they're, they're trying to fit him into the equation now. And this blows them away, and it blows the church away. They couldn't figure it out, and the church can't figure it out. What is he trying to say? Well, I think in a nutshell, what he's trying to say is, you're not getting to God outside of the man Christ Jesus. There's nothing available. Bible school's not going to do it. Going in a monastery is not going to do it. There's no availability. Get down and cry. The people of Mexico, I've seen them. They're going down, down the roadways. They're crawling on their knees. They're, they're crawling in glass. They're whipping themselves with whips. They're, they're doing all kinds of penance because God, can, God is not going to hear you. There is only one access, one avenue, one way. And that's the man, Christ Jesus. Let me say this. There is no disconnect between father and son here. Now, I, I'm going to preach some things, and, and, and everybody's got their ideas, and, and, and we've all been taught when we were little children about the theology of God. And so whatever your theology is, I'm, I, I'm not really trying to disrupt that, but we preach in the light that we have. Is that okay? I'm going to preach in the light that I have. And if you don't have that light, that's, you know, between you and the Lord. Seek the Lord for the revelation of who He is. But there's no disconnect between Father and Son in this. Father, Spirit, manifested in the Son, the flesh. And so Jesus tells them, My Father, not off in heaven, so my Father is in me. You're not going to get to Father by trying to go to heaven some way. You're not going to get to Father by Spirit. There is one way, one avenue. There is only one hope. There's, there's only one access. And that is the man, Christ, Jesus. No one comes. Mm -mm, I don't care who you are. You've been saved a long time. You've got your philosophy and theology. No one comes, prostam patera, if not through of me. That's so powerful. It just, it, it blew the disciples away. It just blew them away. And, and so, you know, the end of that is a lot of questions. And somebody, one of the disciples speaks up and says, Lord, you show us the Father, and, and, and then everything will all fit. Because then we can see Father, we can see Son. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, time out with that. When you see me. Come on, somebody. Amen. When you see me. 
I'm not directing you to look at something else. I'm not directing the eyes to be focused on heaven and be focused on what you cannot see. I want to show you what you can see. I heard somebody preaching the other day, when Jesus did miracles, you see the Father. When Jesus did this and that, you see the Father. That may be true, but when you see Him in body, you are seeing the very God standing in front of you, the man, Christ Jesus. Can you say the man? The man, the man, the man, Christ Jesus. The Lord showed me this about Peter several years ago, and I haven't brought it up for a long time, so I will this morning. I have some empathy for Peter. It's not nice to deny the Lord, is it? It's really not nice to curse and deny the Lord. It's really not nice to swear an oath and say, I do not know the man. I swear by the temple. I swear by the, what was the highest? The gold in the temple? I swear by the gold in the temple, I do not know the man. Now, I, I've got some empathy for him because Peter's in a fix. He just came out of that room that we talked about the night before. Stuff is going on. He's trying to figure things out. He did, but, but Peter, Peter is a man of revelation. And somebody already brought this up, so let me rewarm it again. Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? Didn't you say this last night? Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hey, Peter, you didn't get that on your own. That's a heavenly Father-given message to you. And, and Peter is the man that has the, it's great revelation. He's got it. The church is built on it. We are built on it. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The problem with Peter, he got one revelation and he said, I'm done. Here's the proof. A few scriptures later, he says, I do not want to know the man of sorrows. Jesus begins to tell them, I'm going to Jerusalem. Things are going to happen. They're going to arrest me there. They're going to seize me there. And Peter says, no, they're not. That's be it far from. In fact, he took the Lord aside. They're, you know, they're with all the disciples. Come here, Lord. <laughs> You're wrong about this. And he didn't want to embarrass him in front of the other people, you know. So he took him aside. Say, Lord, no, uh -uh. be it far from you. This isn't going to happen. See, what Peter did was he stopped the flow of revelation in his life. So come now to the time that he's confronted about knowing Jesus and being a part, and they've got Jesus there. He sees now that, that they've arrested him, and this isn't good. This looks like this is all going the wrong direction, and Peter is like, Man, I, I don't know. But the, but the night before, he has taken out his sword, and he's wielding that sword. He's ready to chop people up. I don't think he swung for the guy's ear. I think he's a fisherman and missed. He was trying to split his skull and caught his ear. I'm going to tell you why. Because he wanted to defend the truth, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
He wanted to defend that truth against the man of sorrows. He does not want to know, he will not accept the man of sorrows. Doesn't know him. And so when he is confronted now, his revelation is, and if, if you know, he was questioned, he may have been able to say, Peter, aren't you the one that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yeah, I believe that. But now he's confronted with the man of sorrows who's going to the cross, who Peter will not accept. And to him, he doesn't know the man. It's sad in our religious efforts that so many times the Lord's trying to show us something else and we don't know the man. We've got things that come up in our life and we know that God helped others. We know, Brother Roderick, we get to a place where God, I've got to have I've got to have a deliverer. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know how it's going to happen. But, but God, I've got to know you in a different dimension than what I used to know you. And Lord, I need a revelation in my life. And, and if we're going to hold on strictly to what we used to know, we'll never know the man who will take care of the sorrows in our life if we are holding him back and saying, I don't want to be revealed about that. Think some about all the church issue stuff, and it stopped because they don't want another revelation. I don't want to do that. Can you say, man? I don't want to do that. And so, Peter had to grow in knowledge, he had to grow in wisdom. Can you imagine what happened to him when he heard that rooster? I mean, he wilted. He wilted. He didn't know the man, but the man had told him what was going to happen, and now he is distraught. The Scripture says he went out and wept aloud, bitterly. Do you ever see a grown man crying, weeping? It's, it's a pretty hard sight. But Peter learned a lesson, and, and I hope, Lord help us, lest we fall into the same trap. I have some revelation in Christ that I know, that I'm confirmed in, that I, I hold dear to me and is not going to move out of my life. But I can't let that inhibit what God wants to reveal in my life because revelation is progressive. There are things about Him that I need to know. I think Paul kind of ran to the same issue. He's been ministering all over the world. He has seen the dead raised. He's seen people blessed and healed and churches established that like no other man. But he makes a statement and says, I've got to forget some things because I can't stop here. I'm going to count everything as lost right now that I might know him. Where? That I might know the man of sorrows. 
That's what Paul said. I don't know the man of sorrow. I don't know his passion. I don't know what he suffered, but I want to know it. I don't know how he did it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to see it. And Paul will experience that because he is pressing towards the mark of the highest calling of God. It's in Christ Jesus. Can the church say amen? And so, if we follow after what Peter knows, I'm going to have to read this part. He loves the man who can fill his boat with fish. He loves the man who can heal the lame man that they broke up his house, his roof, and let the man down. And Peter's standing right there, and the Lord heals him. He loves that man. He loves the man that hands to him bread and fish. And in his hands, the bread multiplies and the fish multiplies. And he, Peter, just keeps on giving out and giving out and giving out and giving out to thousands of people. He loves that man. He loves the man who calls to him when he's in the boat and says, come out on the water, Peter. He loves that man because he knows that if he gets out of that boat, that somehow God is going to, to, to interact with him in a way that he can walk on water. The same as this man, Jesus Christ, is walking on water. He loves that man. And he begins to go down. And now he calls out to Jesus. And Jesus takes him and lifts him up and saves him from the peril. He loves the man that can save him from the peril. He loves the man who called their friend Lazarus out of the grave. Jesus said, it's time. Let's go. Let's go up and see Lazarus. He's sleeping. Oh, good, he's sleeping. And the disciples said, good, good, he's sleeping. They all knew Lazarus. They dated his house. They knew him. And he's sleeping. That's good. He rests. He'll be fine. No, Jesus said, no, he's dead. And they get to the grave and they watch him call Lazarus out of a grave. And Peter's like, oh, I love this guy. He could do anything. He is so powerful. He is so good. Peter's ready to defend with his life. But he doesn't know the man of sorrows. In Isaiah, the 28th chapter in the 10th verse, I've read this a number of times. I've quoted it a number of times. Um, I know that you have too. And if we look at progressive revelation, I think this is, this is a recipe right here. For precept must be upon precept. Line upon line. See, you don't enter the kingdom of God up here. How do you enter the kingdom of God? Did anybody know? As a little child. A little child doesn't know anything. You don't, you don't enter with knowledge and wisdom and, and, and glory. I mean, salvation is salvation. Born-again experience is a born-again experience. But the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you don't enter in a full knowledge of Christ. 
but it is progressive line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And all of my life I read that scripture and I thought this is about the law. And so God is speaking to the people about the law, that line upon line and a precept upon precept. By the way, he is speaking to the Israeli people and the Jewish people. And so it must be about them until I got down to the 16th verse and it said, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. I, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure salvation and and so now i understand this is not about the law this is not about judaism but line upon line precept upon precept it's not about the law it's not about the tabernacle it is not about the temple it's not about the high priesthood or the priesthood it's about the cornerstone if you know who the cornerstone is yeshua jesus is that great cornerstone amen so the precept on precept and line upon line is not about understanding the Old, the old Testament and the Old Covenant. I've, I've known people that could quote out of the Old Testament until they would, just, they would just shame you. They had so much memorized out of the Old Testament. That's beautiful until, until you learn to translate that into being precept upon precept in Christ Jesus. It's going to do you absolutely no good in other words what Isaiah is saying here under the inspiration of power of, of the spirit of revelation is revelation is progressive revelation is about here a little there a little is everybody okay you go to church a thousand times. How many has been to church a thousand times? I can say I have surely been to church a thousand times. I think I've preached a thousand times. Brother Nathan, you've preached a thousand times. Brother Tim probably preached a thousand times. You pastored 30-some years. And if we stay in that same revelation that we started in, that's where we end. But if here a little, there a little. We begin to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes stronger in our life. And the religious stuff begins to go down. And the other things, uh, distractions of, of how we have believed in the past, they begin to fall away because when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful th face, the things that we thought we knew begin to fall off of our life. And so the Christian who has 50 years in Christ should know more than what they did when they entered at the altar. But we're not going to teach that very much because we're lazy. Somebody say amen. I always say this. Lazy people make excellent lazy Christians. Come to the altar, get saved, that's it. You're done. It's over. All good. I'll let them do it. I'll let Pastor Ronnie do it. I'll let let Pastor Rod, let the other brothers, you know, they, they're advancing, they're, they're just, God, just, I'm good where I'm at. But the problem is, is that you're weak in the Lord, is that you're weak in your knowledge. And Paul says it this way, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And that's why I only come to you to preach Christ to you, because you need to get into Christ. Not into theology, not, not into liturgy and the 
the church stuff and, and all the practices and customs of the church. That's not, not where your faith needs to lie. But it needs to lie in Christ Jesus that you know Him, that you know Him because I've had my world fall around me a couple of times. And thank God I knew enough to say, God, I am holding on to you, my Lord, no matter what happens in my life. And I learned through it some progressive revelation in my life. And it's here a little, and it's there a little. Colossians, the fifth, second chapter, the third verse says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you can sign up to go to a, a ladies' conference. You can sign up to go to, well, a men's conference. Anybody, this is, this is quite old. Uh, Promise Keepers? Did anybody go to Promise Keepers? Does anybody even remember that? How, how long ago? I mean, this is aging us here. And we went to some Promise Keepers, and it was, it was, it was neat. Let me say, it's neat. Man, all the guys singing, it was a kumbaya like you cannot believe. You need to treat your wives right. You need to keep your promises. You need to work hard. Man, it was awesome. The Lord was vacant of the place. Go to the ladies' meetings and get all the goodies. Come home with a basket full of nice things and lotions and creams. And you feel really good about yourself. And Joyce Meyer has made you feel so good about yourself. And the Lord Christ is not in the place. You didn't get here a little, there a little. You just got gone a little. Wasted time a little. I'm all done with that stuff. Everybody say amen. The church should be done with that stuff because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What did we do with this? Where did we get to the place where we thought the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were in other things? They're not in anything else. They're in Christ. And so it is our pursuit to find Him. To find Him. I'm going to talk a little bit about Him now. Uh, just some things. Where do we start with talking about the Lord? Thank you again, Brother Nathan. We start in the beginning. In the beginning, John 1.1, 1, 1, Genesis 1. In the beginning was the plan and purpose Logos of God. What was his thought in the beginning? I'm sorry that you would think that his thought was, I'm going to make Adam and Eve and, and everything's going to be cool from there on out. His plan was the man. That was his Logos from the beginning. Now, we're not talking about before the earth. We, we don't know how to deal with that. We're talking about the beginning of us. The formation of us. And the beginning of that, his plan, his purpose, his logos, his reasoning, his logic, is that a child is going to be born. A son is going to be given. He's going to be born of a virgin woman. And God is going to father that child in her womb. He was and He is the only begotten Son 
of God. I heard some big-time evangelist people, TV people, personalities that were convincing themselves that they are also begotten sons and daughters of God. That he didn't just have one. You're an antichrist. You're a foul spirit because there is only one begotten of the Father. It's the man, Christ Jesus. He was born Savior. He was born Christ. That's what the angels said to the shepherds. Go down to Bethlehem. There is born the Savior. But He's not revealed the Savior. He's not revealed the Christ. It'll be 30 years before He is revealed the Christ. It'll be three more years or three and a half years, however long that was His ministry, until He is revealed the Savior. But he's made known to the world at his baptism. He is anointed how God anointed the man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whenever it says Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what it's telling you plainly is that we're talking about a physical man. We're not talking about a ghost, an apparition. We're not talking about some suggestion. We're talking about the physical, literal body, man, Christ Jesus went in the Jordan, came up out of the Jordan, and now the man is anointed. The man is coming into ministry now. The man will be the Messiah now. I like to say this, that he became the indisputable rabbi of rabbis. At 28, they don't know that. At 29, they don't know it. At 30, now he is coming into his rabbiship. And let me tell you something about him. They say he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the rabbi of rabbis. You talk about some good ones out there. The Jewish had many that they celebrate, and they still do celebrate and they still look into the rabbinical but what they need to do is look into the great high rabbinical says so there they're going to find the man who is the rabbi the, the, the person, the body the, the man physically who is that rabbi, lord and king over all can you say amen he carries out that messianic ministry as a man. In Philippians, Paul says he emptied himself of doing this thing as God. He's not equal with God. If you read the Greek, he's equal to God. He's not going to come and walk on the earth and not feel the pain. Not feel the sorrow. He's exempt from... No, no. He's not going to do that because he is going to be the perfect pattern for you and I to live in. Mm -hmm. The man. He's revealed as the Lamb of God, the Savior, the Redeemer. When and only when he comes to the cross... And carries the sins of mankind to the cross. Now, it's suddenly revealed to us, even though the angel said 33 years ago, He's the Savior. But now, the revelation is clear to us. And Peter 
even though he has failed and now he comes back to the cross, I'm sure now he can see and remember the things that Christ said. He's not only the son of the living God, but now he is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He has become that man of sorrow. He has become that man of sacrifice. He now is the perfect sacrifice for sin for you and for me. The man, Christ Jesus. And on the third day, the man rose up. Somebody said he spent three days in hell. Well, that's a sad plight for the man that was by him on the cross. Remember he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, this day will you be with me in paradise. So they got paradise and hell switched there. And he said he spent his time in hell. No, he didn't spend his time in hell. He spent his time in the lower region, though. He spent his time in paradise where they said, lift up the, lift up the gates. Let the king of glory come in. And the king of glory came in. And the king of glory, he preached to them that were captive. What did he preach to them? About the law? Did he preach to them about heaven? Did he preach to them about some other thing? No, he preached to them, I am the man that was to come. I'm here now. And you believe on me. And you also will have eternal life in Jesus Christ. So he rose, ascended into glory, sat down. He is Lord. Now, let me stop right there and draw a line. That is the essence of salvation. You don't believe those things, you can't be saved. You must believe that He's the Son of God. You must believe that He died. Paul said you must believe that He rose again. And if you believe that in your heart, and you confess that with your mouth, this is the criteria of salvation. Not a religious thing, not a repeated prayer, but you believe Jesus. He is Lord. And I confess with my mouth, He is the Lord. And I confess with my mouth, yes, He is the one who died. He is the one who rose again. And if I can do that, if I can believe that, if I can trust that, God is going to breathe that Zoe life into my dead spirit man. And I will be saved. Hallelujah. But that's not where we stop. Isn't that enough? Isn't salvation enough, Pastor? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of denominations and preachers believe that. It's enough. But I want to tell you something. Your strength in that salvation is going to come from your knowledge of the Lord. Okay. Everybody that's struggling this morning, come up and we're going to put oil on you. No. No, I've had that done. I came up struggling and I left struggling. Even worse. Because now I've eliminated one of the possibilities of my help. Anointing oil. We have very few spiritual prayer lines. And I'll tell you why. You've got to find something inside of you. You've got to have something in here that's crying out, Lord, I need to know you. 
I can't exist just with religion. I can't exist in this, in this idea of now I'm saved and everything's gone. God, I need to know you more and more. And so I am going to run to you, Jesus. And so who really is he? What time is it? Uh, Fifteen minutes. Brother Nathan stole my who will give me five minutes. He stole that from me. I went to a UPC church and saw that done. How many will give me five more minutes? And people raised, he was five, 15, 20, and, and he meant it. You know, I don't. We're, we're going to come to close and eat chicken here in a little bit. But I, I want to talk about who really is he just for a little bit. Is that okay? Everybody will be with me when we talk about who really is he. I think this, this, this is a paradox that, that the disciples ran into in John 14. They come out of that room with a lot of information. But they just, it's got to get inside, right? And, and so, as time went on, people's concepts of who he is came to surface in Christianity, what we call Christendom. And I don't want to throw stones at anybody. I don't know if we have any Roman Catholic people here this morning. And if we do, uh, I want to turn your eyes off the church and get it towards Christ. But probably we don't. But the Roman church figured it would be easier to know him as a third God. Now, I say this, and probably some of you are going to, your, your, your hackles are going to come up. I don't serve Junior. Junior's not my God. Thomas finally gets into the room, and the Lord shows him, and he says, Oh, my God, my Junior God. No. Oh, my third of a God. He's going to use two terms. My Lord, that's the man. And my God. Wow. See, it took him a little bit to, to, to capture, you know. In fact, Thomas, he's, he's not even there the first time they meet. He's so upset. He's so confused. He just, I don't even believe you guys. Until the Lord reveals to him. Come on, say Amen. When the Lord reveals to you, when the Lord reveals to you and shows you, wow. And so our calling is to preach the revelation of Christ in fullness. That's why Paul says, epikonosko. The full knowledge of Christ, not the part knowledge of Christ. Not a third knowledge of God. God himself. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. I read the scripture that said he is the mediator. Now, King James is going to help you with this. King James is going to say he is the mediator between God and man. The word between is not in there. It's not intended to be in there. It's not part of the text. It's not what God's trying to convey. It's not what Paul's trying to teach the church. That Jesus is between God and man. And you go to Jesus and he'll introduce you to God somewhere. No, Jesus is the mediator and the mediation at the same time. Because the book of, book of Galatians uh, uh, says this. That he, God is the mediator 
But it takes two to have mediation. You need two individual parties and a go-between. But Jesus Christ is not a go-between God and man. Rather, He is God and a mediator at the same time. So if you understand Him in this dimension or this faction, then you stop this idea of I'm going through Him to get somewhere else. I'm going through Him to get to Him. I'm going to Him to find Him. I'm going to Him to know Him. I'm not interested in knowing someone else. I want to know my Savior, my Lord, my Redeemer, the revelation of who God is, the fullness of the glory of God in the face, in the cross upon, in the, in the, in the countenance of Jesus Christ is the fullness of the glory of God. I may be wrong. I've been wrong before. Brother Charlie told me this. I've been wrong before. I thought I was wrong and I wasn't. I don't know how to get around this. Is everybody still okay? We still have 12 minutes. I don't know how to get around this. I love Isaiah. How many loves Isaiah? He shall be called. Ninth chapter. Wonderful. Counselor. Prince of Peace. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. See, we got smarter than God. And we framed God in little boxes so we could see Him how we wanted to see Him. But Isaiah didn't do that. Isaiah said He is the everlasting Father. Actually, Abad actually means the Father of eternity. Who is this? Oh, it's the child that's to be born, the son that's to be given. He's the one who is the father of eternity. But I don't want to know him as a father of eternity. I want to know somebody else as a father of eternity. Oh, watch it. Watch it. My revelation doesn't provide for that. So therefore, I'm not going to believe what the scripture says about him. Are we having fun now? My Bible, my scripture, says he should be called the everlasting father. That's what he tried to reveal to his disciples in John 14. When you see me. Everybody okay? Well, what we need to do is we need to go to the Greek and break that down. Okay, I'll break it down for you. When you see me, you see the father. No, let's break it down. When you see me, you see the Father. And from now on, that's who you're going to see. Man, I love that part. Can you say amen? When you get the revelation of who He is, that's what you're going to see. You didn't know it, now you do. That's what revelation is. We went to the book of the Apocalypse and we wanted to get all the revelation. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. The problem is there's very little revelation of who He is in that book. 
But the full revelation of Jesus Christ is in his person. Glory! I'm about to shout. I don't know if I got anybody with me or not, but I'm, I'm about to shout. You seen a Jericho march? We haven't had one in a while. I might have to do it. Kind of wake everybody up. <clears throat> so, Isaiah, he'll later be called the image of the invisible God, the image of the Father. God manifested in flesh. Father, God manifested in flesh. The embodiment of the God incarnation. The man, Christ Jesus. Still, no one comes across Tom Patera. You come to me. I love the ending of the 11th chapter of Matthew. Where Jesus talks about, you cannot have father without son. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't have son without father. And then he pulls a fatherly act. He says, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me. Capital M-E. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He's just been talking about son and father. Now he's going to talk. You, I'm going to tell you the clarification of this whole thing. It's in me. Can you say amen? All right. We've got to go on here. We're just, I'm, I'm hitting some roots. I hope it's not roots of bitterness. So let's look at some spiritual designations. Scriptural. In the book. He is preeminent how many things is he really preeminent in all things it's a good question for you well I don't really know that's why you need to pursue the knowledge of Christ because the scripture said he's preeminent not in some things not just in earthly things that he's got a name remember the name just isn't about bowing in the earth it's about bowing in the heaven. It's about bowing under the earth. Because he's got a name that is above. Come on now. All names. And he is preeminent in all things. He is not junior. He is senior. <laughs> he is high above all rule and authority. Oh, man, Pastor Joe. No, 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 no. That's Bible. That's this book that we're trying to live by and trying to understand. It's this Christ that we need to pursue. He is high. It's not even a little bit. It's not even close. All authority doesn't even come near to him. He's high above all authority and power. In fact, all power in heaven and earth is invested in Him. Wow, I'm about to scream. He's the object of all worship. Pastor Rodney said it last time. I told you I'd be crossing over. Here we go again in Hebrews, the first chapter. And when the, when the prototype is born into the world and God says, all worship Angels, get down on your knees. Earth and heaven, bow your knees. Speak with your tongue. Jesus Christ is to be worshipped. 
Somebody said, Jesus' worship makes the Father upset. He doesn't get the glory. It's because your revelation of Jesus Christ does not equal what the Scripture says about Him. He receives all glory and honor because He is Lord God over all. Let me see. He's the one who was. He's the one who is. And he is the one who is to come into the ages. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He is the beginning. And he's the end. He is the author. And he is the finisher of our faith. Somebody said, man, I don't just want to put it all in Christ. You're making a big, big mistake. This thing is called Christianity. Now you might have something else, but Christianity is all about the stem word. It is Christ. And all things are by Him and through Him and by His word. All things do exist and stay in order and in place. He is the radiance of God's glory. You're not going to see God's glory anywhere else. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the character of God's essence, of His very being. Jesus, the man, is the character of God. He's the only expressed image. Of God. You're doing it again, Pastor. You're putting all your eggs in one basket. That's right. I'm intending to. If he fails me, which he cannot do, he's above failure. Can you say amen? His word is ever right. Heaven and earth will pass away. Problems and troubles have come in my life. I may get broke again. I may be hurting again. I may get sick again. We may lose lose loved ones again. But I'm going to tell you this about Him. His heaven and earth are going to pass away. But His word will never, ever, ever pass away. It will last forever. Your kingdom, Lord, your throne, O God, shall last forever. No time, nowhere, any, any era of time, any dispensation, will the throne of God come down. Thy throne, O Lord, will last forever and ever. And ever, we've only got two minutes now. The most befitting picture that you will ever see of Christ. And I do want to finish. I want you to hang on to this. The most vivid picture of Yeshua Jesus, the man, is him hanging there. Bleeding there. Gasping there. Crying out, I thirst. There, dying. Pilate has written a title to be nailed over his head. 
You want the full revelation of Jesus. I want to take you here. Here he is. Our sins, your sin, my sin. Bleeding there. <sighs> Dying there in the flesh. He is my God. What is that for a second? He's beginning to see things. The bulls of Bashan, they're around me. He's in such torment and pain. He doesn't look like God. He doesn't even look like a man. Brother Chris said this the other night. Isaiah said his visage is so torn. He has been beat and buffeted. His face is swollen. Little drops of blood are running down his cheeks. From that crown of thorns on his head, he is, his back is wide open. He's gasping for air. This doesn't look like God to me. Lord, why are you doing this? I'm going to tell you something. Sin's an ugly picture. And it's an ugly picture to me, but, but Paul, looking back at that, said, I will glory in the cross. I see the man there. I see the mediator there. I see the Lamb of God there. And he's dying. This thing that Pilate has put over his head <clears throat> that he writes in, <clears throat> in Greek and in Latin and in Hebrew and So the Latins knew what to do with it. They took the acronym and they, they made the word INRE, I-N-R-E. Has anybody ever seen that? If you've ever seen a Catholic picture of the cross, you've seen it. Atop his head, INRE. If you've ever taken their communion, you will see it there. Stamped on the little ugly, bitter, useless wafer is INRE. It's the Roman acronym for Jesus, the Nazarene, King of the Jews. They didn't stop there. The Greek Orthodox Church took it up, and they've got NB, because the Greek is just a little bit cilia, or the, the, the word for king is a little different, so it's NB, and they use that. They use that in their worship and in their stuff. It's an acronym, him dying on the cross. And up above his head, N-B-I-N-B-I. -I. But I can't stop there. Because it's also written in Hebrew. And the acronym in Hebrew is going to blow the Jews away. Oh, they're not dumb. Near is the Roman church. They knew what to do with it. So did the Jewish people. And the letters spelled out Y-H-V-H Yahweh. So you've got the man on the cross, but that's not all that's there.
You see the man. You see the man of sorrow. But that's not all that's there. God is on the cross. Somebody said God can't die. God can't die. But the man can die. And the man did die. He rose again. But he died. He tasted death. He is the firstborn out of death. I'm telling you, there isn't anything. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything that he doesn't know, that he hasn't been. And when you experience that Jesus is all in all, you're going to find your Christian life gets on one straight path. And that's to find him and who he is. Clay Cross, I'm not going to play it because it was in 1997 and a lot of the music back in 1997 doesn't really line up with what I like. <laughs> And so I played it for Kay the other day, you know. It's almost got a little bit of kind of little rock, you know, hard, little hard rock in there. But he had some kind of a revelation. I don't know. Once in a while, a blind hog can find an acorn, right? So Clay Cross, it all comes down to a man dying on a cross, saving the world, rising from the dead, doing what he said he would do, loving everyone he saw, but it comes down to a man dying on the cross, what have we done with that? We've made him the sacrifice and walked away from him and said, now I'm going to live my Christian life. No, you don't live a Christian life that way. Paul will write back to the church, the Galatian church, and said, I travail until Christ is birthed in you. The man, the Christ. When it says Christ, it's always talking about the man, Christ Jesus. I travail until the man is birthed in you. He goes to the Colossian church and he said, all the fullness of the godness dwelled in him bodily. And then he tells the Ephesian church, in Christ, in whom, in which, in the Lord Jesus himself, that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What do you think Paul was preaching to the world? What do you think he was out there doing? Signs and wonders and miracles? No, he was talking about you need to get in Christ. You need to find him and he needs to develop in your life. Well, I'm travailing until he develops as everything in the Christian life. And he closes out and I'm going to close out. Philippians. I realize now that all of my works and everything I've done don't mean anything. But in Christ means something. And so I press. I left us with that the other day. And so a lot of what we did this morning was a little bit of repetition. But Paul said, I press. I press. Not something you're going to hear in the Christian teaching these days. It's relax. In fact, they use the words rest in the finished work. And people are doing it. Oh, they're doing it. Drinking and carrying on and going. They're, they're resting. They're not pursuing. Pretty soon, Brother Nathan, the glove gets filled with something other than Christ. And we're in danger. So we must keep him the head of the church. Oh, he's the head of the church. He's the subject of the church. He is the object of the church. He's the head of the church. Now, we're going to do something before we go in and eat. And so I need Ronnie, will you come and, and help me? Brother Austin, where you at? Come and help me, brother. And uh, Brother Chris, would you come? Brother Dustin, 
And um, let's see if we have enough. Um, Brother Josh, help me. Help me. We're going to pass out real quick. We're going to pass out the bread and the juice. You can do it. have to pray for a supernatural strength to break that bread. So we're going to go tear it in another couple of pieces. <laughs> like a phone book. So do we need one more? Brother Shane, come and help me here real quick. So they're just going to just take a piece of the bread out of the loaf. I love this because this represents us one loaf. And uh, we started doing this, and they're cooking bread that doesn't have any, any yeast in it. So all of the people that believe you should do unleavened bread, that's what we're doing. But it comes out of one loaf. And so let's go just distribute to everybody. Hey, don't leave me out. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. 